Good morning and Happy New Year to everybody. Yeah, it's wonderful, wonderful to be back together again. Just with the family, incredible back together again. Uh, Michelle and I celebrated 45 years of marriage yesterday. So, um, my precious wife of my youth, yeah. So I used to say the first 43 were the worst, now it's the first 44 the worst, so no, I'm teasing. But I just want to honor my precious wife, who's, uh, yeah, thank you. It's been a wonderful journey. You finally learned to obey, well done. No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But I do want to honor you, thank you, thank you, yeah. God is good, eh? Yeah, all the time, it really is good. So I have the privilege of sharing this morning and um, I'm not too sure what to call this. I had a long title and I spoke to my wife about it and she shortened it for me. It was simply continue to walk in, experience and embrace all that the Lord has for us. She said, why don't you just say embracing all God has for us? I think that's a better title. So that's what we want to talk about. And um, uh, I personally don't believe God is tied to our calendar years. I know he made time. But I don't believe he gives a word for every year. I'm not saying he can't do that. I believe God works in seasons. And sometimes those seasons are three or four years. Sometimes they're six months. But God determines the seasons. Even in the natural, we have all the different falls and spring and etc. The seasons. The seasons come and the seasons go. And it's in those seasons, whatever that season may be, that God is busy unfolding, doing, revealing in and through us. And um, I honestly believe that over the last six to seven months, we have the privilege of traveling, Michelle and I. And over the last six to seven months, I've noticed that there's been an increase in some of the things that God has done. And I feel like we're in a season where there's an increase in what God is doing. We have been privileged to see it in some places that we went. And just what we saw God do. And probably in the last six to seven months, we've seen God do a lot more than we probably have in the last two or three years. Not that he didn't do things, but there's been like an increase. Um, People that have had issues struggling for years and years, God has come and touched and released from. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Todd, after I preached, Todd brought a word about God wanted to deal with some people that had long-standing issues. And if you remember, a number of people came forward and we prayed and trust God for, well, I know of one particular person that God really ministered to. She had had issues for 12 years of intense pain, debilitating pain, if I can get that word out. Prayed for often, sought the Lord, but that Sunday, God started something in her. And today, she's pain-free. The pain was so intense that she had to take medication and every now and then wear a fentanyl patch to help her just function in life. And God came and touched and healed. And I have a testimony, yeah, but I don't want to read it now, maybe another time. And so I'm beginning to see things like that. So I want to speak to us about continuing to position ourselves 
so that we can continue to walk in what God has for us. It's a very simple message. I feel like I always say that when I get up here. Continuing to position ourselves so that we can continue to walk in all that God has for us. And it's not a doing mentality. We don't have to do more. It's a believing mentality. It's a believing attitude. And I feel like in this season, God is bringing fresh revelation into certain areas. Revelation, you've heard me say, changes us. Revelation is God opening up something inside of us so we can receive something of who He is, of He truly is. And when it enters in here, it has a dramatic change to work something in us and out of us. We desperately need ongoing revelation. And so even in this season, and even what I touch on today, if you feel there's an area that I speak to God, I desire more revelation in that area. Ask Him for it. Because it's out of the revelation of who He is, where faith increases so we can walk into what He has for us. It's not a doing mentality. It's a being and believing mentality. Amen. So don't go home and think you have to do more. Or if you've been praying for five hours, now you've got to pray for five and a half hours, etc., etc. No, it's not that. It's a believing mentality. And when it enters here, our outward action changes. Things begin to change. I don't even make myself correct, but anyway, I'm just... So, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, some of the scripture will come up. The Bible says this, it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. Don't worry about the 1 Timothy one. Through the faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. So this scripture talks about inheriting what God has promised. And I love the songs we sang. So before we can inherit anything, before we can embrace it, before we can take hold of it, we need to know what it means, what has been promised. So we know what we're going to take hold of. And that word, what has been promised, is a gift graciously given. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 2, Galatians 3, and Ephesians 1, where it talks about the activity and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise that God has given or revealed to you as an individual or to us as a body. It is not me taking the Bible and saying, okay, that's a great promise. That hasn't been revealed to you. It hasn't taken root inside of you. It's something that the Holy Spirit awakens to you or speaks to you about a promise that God has in store for you or I. And there's promises over this body. And so it has been made real to you. It's been brought to you. It's a gracious gift given. It's nothing earned. And it's through faith that we take hold of that. And the Bible says in, Hebrew, in Romans 10, 17, you know this. How does faith come? By hearing, hearing the Word of God. That's how faith comes. So we've got to hear the promise. It's got to take root. We haven't embraced it yet, but faith will take us into it. The Bible clearly tells us that the Israelites didn't, the one generation of Israelites didn't inherit the promises that God had promised to them for one reason and one reason only, because of their unbelief. Not because of their behavior, because of their unbelief. 
And if you read the story of the Israelites, they continually mumbled and groaned and complained. That was just an expression of the unbelief. That's all it was. And so they never entered the promise and God waited for their generation to go. So who made the promise? The Lord. And he's the one that will see and be faithful to their promise as we believe in him and begin to walk in it. As I said, Hebrews 3.19 says, so we see that they did not enter because of the unbelief. Because of the unbelief. There is no faith without confession. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. There's no such thing as faith without confession. Confession is faith's way of expressing itself. Faith, like love, is of the heart, of the spirit. And you know just as well as I do that there's no love without word or action. I remember early on in our marriage, my wife used to say, you tell me you love me, but because I was caught up in other things before I got saved. But I did love her, but it was never expressed. Love is expressed through word or action. It's the same as faith is expressed. You can't reason love into people and you can't reason love out of them because love is of the heart. Same as faith is of the heart or of the spirit. And it's safe to say that there is no faith without confession. And faith like love grows when we talk about it. That's how it grows within us. But I'm coming to that. So, the only fight that we are called to fight as believers is the fight of faith. We're not called to fight anything else. The Bible clearly says that and the scripture will come up. 1 Timothy 6, 12. There it is. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession, you see, speaking in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. So even as I was reading that yesterday, I just made note of the fact that there's certain words that the Bible uses. Fight the good fight of faith. It says flee. Flee from the love of money. Flee from sexual immorality. Pursue righteousness. Guard the good deposit that was within you. Guard your tongue and guard your heart. Take hold of, and it's there, eternal life. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. But it's fight, the good fight of faith. So if there's a fight of faith, then there must be enemies or hindrances to faith. And so I want to talk a little bit about those because they're important that we get established in them so we can fight the good fight of faith. So we can stand strong and walk into all that he has for us. So, remember, faith is of the heart. So one of the first things is this, a lack of understanding. Sorry, I'm raining it. Thank you, Marie. We sent it to her very late yesterday, so she's had to put them all together. The first one is that we've got to fight the fight of faith is a lack of understanding regarding the new creation. If we don't fully understand that, if we don't fully grasp that, what actually has taken place, we tend to vacillate. And so we need the revelation of what it means to be a new creation. Not just your sins forgiven. 
It's a great, great salvation. It's not just sinners forgiven, but struggling and barely getting through. It's not that. We're a new creation in Christ. We've received a new DNA, received a new nature. The old is gone. So the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, tells us that, and I'm mentioning the scriptures so you can take them and go, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, not the old remade, not a do-over. The old is dead. It's dead. I'll say it again. It's dead in the eyes of the Lord. It's dead when you put your faith in the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. The old is gone and the new has come and this is all from God. Isn't that amazing? So it doesn't matter how you feel today. If you're a believer, you're a new creation. Because it's not in your feelings. It's in what you believe. You're a new creation. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 will come up there as well. says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge, that's revelation knowledge, of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Called us by His glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that by them you may, if you can push it up slightly because I haven't got my Bible, are you able to do that? By them you may participate, it says, in the divine nature. In the divine nature. The nature that is of the Lord that he's deposited in you. You may participate in the divine nature. That's wonderful news, eh? The Bible says we are redeemed. Redeemed. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, it talks about that we are redeemed. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and that we are redeemed. What does that word redeemed mean? What does it mean to be redeemed? It'll come up on the back there. This is what it means to be redeemed. That word redeemed has four Greek words attached to it. The first one, I don't know how to pronounce this. Agrosso. Anybody can speak Greek here? Agrosso. I don't know how to pronounce it. This means to buy... In the marketplace as though buying a slave. What would it cost to redeem this person from their owner or from his owner? One way would be to substitute yourself in their place, but only if you had equal value. That's the first part of it, because we were slaves to the evil one. The next word is egrosser. This means to buy out of the marketplace, not just in the marketplace, but to buy and bring out of the marketplace to freedom. Therefore, this person was no longer meant to remain there. God never intended for us to retain habits and traits of our old life. So I've not only been brought out of the marketplace in the sense of slavery, I've been taken out of it. The third word is light true. This means to loose. Jesus gave himself for us to loose us from all iniquity and bondage and to loose us from all the habits that had marked a life of slavery. To loose is to set free from shackles. And the fourth word is apolytra. This means to be permanently set free 
so that the God who sets free can never, never be forced back into bondage again. Never. That is what redeemed means. To permanently set free. All the powers of hell cannot force the redeemed one back into bondage. The only way he or she that can go back into bondage is by their own choice. He cannot be forced by anything outside of himself. You're redeemed. Now when that revelation hits you, it does impact inside. You have been redeemed. Redeemed. New creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The price has been paid. That's what we need to understand. Oh, thank you. I thought you were coming to stand with me here and help me. Thank you, Don. You can see my tongue's dry. So that's what it means to be, have a new creation. You're redeemed. The price is fully paid. You've been taken out and brought into, taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son. So when we have an ongoing revelation of that, it just helps us to stand strong. Number two, the lack of understanding of our place in Christ. In the New Testament, when Paul writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, and Corinthians, and Romans, there's 133 times that he uses the word in Christ, in whom, or in him. 133 times. And so in Romans chapter 1, we're going to read three or four verses. Romans, sorry, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. It'll come up on the back. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sunning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live any longer to it? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body that ruled us by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free. So, this is hard to grasp. When Christ died, you died. Your old nature. When Christ came alive, you came alive. With a new life. With a new creation. That's what baptism signifies when we go in the water and come out. So you identified with Christ. And how does that happen? Through faith. Through faith. So when the Father looks at you and the Father looks at me, He sees us in Christ. I remember Clayton did this once. 
I put this, what do you call this, tissue in the Bible. It's in. It's in. That's how you are seen in Christ. Amen. I'm trusting the truth will sink home. So whatever Christ went through, through his death, his burial, when he was buried, you were buried. And whatever Christ went through, we went through in the spirit. Therefore, you're a new creation. Because when he came alive, the life that brought him alive entered into us. That same life, that new life, eternal life, God's life. Ephesians 2, 1 to 6. says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Remember this, God did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. That's what the Bible says. It was never about morality. It's about life and death. It was never about behavior. It's about life and death. Behavior changes when life enters. I've said this before. Does behavior determine blessing or does blessing determine behavior? Does behavior determine blessing? So if I behave myself, God will bless me. Or does God bless me and my behavior changes? That's the way it works. That's the way it works. I know when I got saved, something changed in one. Things I wanted to do, I no longer wanted to do. The gospel is an eternal work that gets established inside of you and I. And when it takes root, it begins to impact the way we think. It begins to impact my emotions. It begins to take effect in who I am as a person. And it begins a change that takes place. And that change is ongoing. That's the power of the gospel. So we were dead in our sins and transgressions in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? The devil. The spirit who is, thank you, Marie, by faith it's going to change and go up. Well, I should have opened in my Bible. We sent this late to her, so I understand that she's... Ephesians chapter 2. I don't want to misquote it, so... Because it's key that we understand it. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. That's why we sinned. Following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, because of his great love for us, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him 
in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So think about this. We were dead spiritually. I was walking on this earth breathing. I was married. I had kids. But I was dead spiritually to the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Now I encounter the Lord or the Lord encounters me. And as he encounters me, he takes me from death to life. My sins are forgiven. I'm washed away. I died with him. And as he came out of the grave, I came out of the grave. Not only that, as he ascended, I ascended with him. And he sits on the right hand side of the Father. And that's where you and I sit on the right hand side of the Father in heavenly realms. I know it's hard for the brain to comprehend that because it's of the heart. That means God wants to teach us to pray this way instead of this way. Because that's where we're seated. But our eyes play tricks on us because we see something and then it conflicts with what's in our heart. We hear something and it conflicts with what's in our heart. We experience something and it conflicts with what's in our heart. So now I've got some choices to make. Do I go by what my eyes see or the way I'm feeling that day or what I've heard somebody say or do or do I go by what's in my heart? Then I begin to walk the road of faith because I'm not living by my sight. I'm living by faith. I'm not living by the negativity I hear, I'm living by the word that he spoke to me. I'm not living by what I experience every day that's happening in the world. I'm living by who he is in me and who I am in him. That's how I begin to live. Hallelujah. And the beauty about it is it's not of us. It's of him. He does the work in it. He gives us energy. He enables. He empowers. He strengthens. He st- he's faithful. That's the walk of faith. That's why sometimes it's a little fight. That's why sometimes you wake up in the morning and then you and your wife have a fight. And I realize it's always my wife's fault. It's taken me a while to realize that. But <laughs> no. And then the peace you have is gone. So now, do I live by what's just happened? Or do I allow the Lord to speak to my heart and help me through this and help me shell through it so we come out in a better place on the other side? Not by what's happened. That's the life of faith. That's why it's a battle. So that's why these, I'm saying, when these become a revelation to us and get inside of us, it's profound Absolutely profound because now we continually position ourselves as a child of God ready to walk into what he has promised to us. I'm not vacillating and fighting who I am all the time. I know who I am. Hello? You with me? All right. Next one. Two more. Three more. We'll finish. Lack of understanding regarding our righteousness. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God 
for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. A righteousness by faith. The other scripture is 2 Corinthians 5, 21, which says we have the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. So you wake up in the morning and you don't feel righteous. And then you spill your coffee like um, Josh did over here. And then your mood changes for whatever reason. And then you say something that's not pleasant coming out of your mouth to your wife because you're not in a good place. And then we believe that's who we are. That's not who you are. What has happened is we've just submitted to the old nature that wants to take hold of us again. But that's not who we are. We are the righteousness of Christ. And the more we can have a conscious mindset that that's who we are, the more when that, what I've just said, happened, where Josh is not talking nicely to Rachel. I'm using Josh because he spilled his coffee. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. The, it's okay. The more as you begin to go through that process where something's happening here, and then the thought comes back, but hang on a minute, I'm, the, I'm righteous before my father because of what I believe not because of what I've done, then it helps you deal with that in a redemptive manner and begin to live again from that place of righteousness. Amen. Next one. Lack of understanding regarding our privilege to the use, use the name of Jesus. When we know what the name will do, we will take our rightful position of authority over the works of the evil one and enjoy victory. Two scriptures, Mark 16, will come up about how we've been given authority in the name of Jesus to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to speak in new tongues. We will drink things that will not harm us because of the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 3, when the blind man was healed, this was their response. When people came and looked at them in Acts chapter 3, the scripture will come up on the back. Verse 15 says this, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Peter speaking, We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. The first time I saw deliverance and I saw the power of the name of Jesus Many of you know I've shared this. Something exploded inside of me. Because I saw the power of the name of Jesus. I saw it. I saw the impact of it. And so I started to pursue that. And as you do, and as I did, I begin to understand the authority that we have when we use the name of Jesus rightly. You can't just add it on at the end of a sentence. It's because he's in your heart. And the mouth is the overflow of his lordship inside. As you use the name of Jesus in the correct manner, 
It has authority. It has authority. Because it's not our authority, it's his authority that's within us because of his name. So we need to understand using the name of Jesus. And the last one is the lack of understanding about holding fast to our confession of faith. And this is the important one for me. I'm going to read some scriptures from Hebrews. They're one-line scriptures. Hebrews is a book that was written to encourage people to walk into the promises of God. Hebrews was written explaining that Jesus is greater than Moses, greater than the angels, greater than the Old Testament prophets and priests and kings, because he is the prophet, the priest, and the king. That his sacrifice was greater than all the Old Testament. But that's what the book of Hebrews, and because of that, we can trust him to take us into the promises he has promised. Michael Eaton calls it the book of encouragement because it's such an encouraging book. That's why there's that whole chapter on faith in chapter 11. By faith this, by faith this, by faith this. So in Hebrews 11, sorry, Hebrews 3 verse 1. When I get to Hebrews. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Whom we speak about. Whom comes out of our mouth. That word confess is to say the same as. So I'm agreeing with what God says. That song we sang, say yes and amen. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6. But Christ is faithful as a son of a God's house and we are his house. If we hold onto our courage and hope, which we boast. That word courage actually means the act of speaking. That's what it means, the act of speaking. Because when we speak it in faith, it gives us courage. Hebrews 4.14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, heavens, Interesting that it said heavens. Didn't say heaven. Why did it say heavens? Because there's three heavens. So Jesus went through the heavens. Anyway, that's for something else. The heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly or hold fast our confession of faith that we profess. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess or hold fast our confession. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly or let us hold fast our confession to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. 10, verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. That word confidence is the same word as courage, the act of speaking. Do not throw away the act of speaking because it will create confidence in you when you continue to confess the truth of what's in your heart. It's with my mouth I believe and with my heart I, that I'm, it's with my mouth I speak and my heart that I believe and then I'm saved. And it's an ongoing presence tense into something. 
Romans chapter 10. So your confession is very key. And so I'm going to do this again because I've done it before, but I want you to grasp it. And so forgive me if you've seen it two or three times. Uh, Josh and Tommy, why don't you come, wait, please come stand here. Because I know there's new people with us. Come on the stage, thank you. All right, the Bible says that everything, every matter has to be established by the testimony of two or three. In other words, there has to be another witness to the original witness. So we took up an offering here, and I'm going to use, and Josh was taking the money out there, and I followed him, and he was putting the money in his pocket, which he didn't do. And then I come back, and I say, Tommy, you know what Josh is doing? He's putting the money in his pocket. So he calls Josh and said, what are you doing? And Josh says, I'm not doing anything. And I say, but you are, Josh. I saw you. He says, I'm not. that's one witness is another witness. We need another witness because one of us is not telling the truth. Understand what I'm saying? So you need another witness to establish something. That's what the Bible says. So Jesus gave six, six witnesses about himself. So he's going to play the devil. And he's going to play God. Appropriate, he says. <laughs> So God comes to you and I and whispers things into your heart, gives you promises, continually comes to give you promises, and continually tells you who you are. You're my son. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I have precious promises for you. You're forgiven, etc., etc. The devil comes to us and says, Whoa, hang on a minute. I know what you're still struggling with. I know this about you. And it reminds you of some of the struggles you struggle with or some of your past. That's what he reminds you about. That's one witness. That's one witness. What you and I speak is the second witness. That's what we walk in. That's what we walk in. So your mouth sets your roadmap. Your mouth sets the direction in which you go. Your mouth sets the atmosphere of what's happening inside of you. Your mouth sets the atmosphere in your house. Your mouth sets the boundary marks in your life. That's what your mouth does. Thank you. That's why it's so important to have a good confession. Your sins are forgiven, people. Don't keep confessing them. They're done. When you mess up, you just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Done. Finished. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. Because that's all you think about then. Sorry, I messed up. But I thank you that you promised to never leave me or forsake me. I thank you. You will take what I messed up and use for good. Because that's who you are. Thank you, you stole your precious promises in my life. Thank you that you walk in with me. Thank you that you always forgive me. That's where you focus. That's why it's key what comes out of your mouth. But sometimes things come out of our mouth that we say, whoa, where did that come from? Don't be dismayed by it because your mouth will reveal what's in your heart. That's how you know where you're at. And then if something comes out of it, say, whoa, then you say, Lord, this needs to be dealt with. As your child, you need to deal with this thing inside of me. And he will. 
Amen. Hold fast, people, to your good confession. Hold fast to it. I encourage you. Those are the four things that you'll always have a fight of faith for and to get established in them. And when we're established in them, we can embrace and walk into that God has for us. And it comes through revelation. The last thing I want to say, we don't have time, I had more I wanted to say, is this. The heart attitude that we need to have for all this is of two. Humility and a servant-heartedness. When we cultivate that attitude inside, understanding who we are in Christ, it facilitates the ongoing growth. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. In the Gospel of John, I'll just read this instead of talking about it. The inner life of our Lord Jesus becomes open to us. Jesus spoke frequently of his relationship to his Father, of the motives by which he was guided. Though the word humble is not written, there's no other place in Scripture where his humility is so clearly revealed as in the Gospel of John. He gave God the honor and the glory that was due to him. If you read the words from John's Gospel in which our Lord spoke of his relationship to his Father, you'll see how unceasingly he used the words not and nothing of himself. This is what he said. The Son can do nothing of himself. I can do nothing by myself. I do not receive honor from men, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will. My teaching is not my own. My doctrine is not my own. I have not come for myself. I can do nothing by myself, nor have I come of myself, but because he sent me. I do not seek my own glory. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. The word which you hear is not mine. That's the voice of Jesus speaking. So what does that tell me? Jesus had total dependence in his Father. That's a mark of humility. Knowing that all that happened, all that he experienced, all that he went through, although he was the Son of God and he paid the perfect sacrifice, was not of him. Everything we go through, everything we experience, everything we see, every healing, every deliverance, every restored relationship is not of us. That's of Him. And if we can remember that always as God begins to increase what He does with us, we'll walk into it. We can know no claim to it. We cannot compare it to anybody else or any other church. We can just say, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Keep my heart pliable and humble before you. Keep my head in the right place of who I am in you so I can stand boldly before your throne. I can come confidently before you, but my heart is bowed before you. My heart is submitted to you. But I know who I am in you. I'm your child, but I'm submitted to you. That's the attitude that I pray the Lord will continue to develop in us. And the other attitude is that we would serve. Because when we serve, we serve Him. Although it's at people or things, like the people at the back there, we serve because of Him. And I find those two cultivated attitudes in our heart continue to position us for Him to take us into what He wants and what He wants to do. 
knowing who I am, fighting the good fight of faith, but always humbling myself before our gracious God. All things are from him. All things go to him. All things come to him. All things are of him. He is the Lord. He's the king. He's the God. He's the victorious one. He's our advocate. He's our strength. He's our redeemer. He's our shepherd. He's our strong tower. He's our fortress. He's our father that watches over us. He's our father that will never leave us. He's our father that has promises for us. He's our father that will strengthen us. He's our father that will comfort us. He's our father that will gently lead us. He's our father that will guide us. He's our father in heaven who loves his children. Loves his children. So I pray that as we walk into this year and experience all that he has for us, we will take hold of it all. Don't have to be ashamed about it, confidently and boldly, but with humility. Because he has much that he wants to do in us and through us. And he calls us to lay things down. Sometimes it's things that are not necessarily wrong. Or sinful. But he calls us to lay things down in order to take hold of what he has for us. And for each one of that, for us, it's different. It's different. Just say, Lord, what do you require me to lay down? Is there anything you require me to lay down? So I can walk into what you have for me. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we thank you for your promises. We thank you, Father, that we are privileged to see what you're doing, to be part of what you're doing. We thank you for what you're going to continue to do and what you continue to reveal and the continuing work and activity of your presence and your Holy Spirit. Thank you for who we are in you. Thank you, Lord, that we are new creations. Thank you, Lord, that we are your righteousness in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we are forgiven. Thank you, Father, that we have a good confession. Thank you, Father, for the power of the name of Jesus. Thank you for our standing in you. And we stand boldly in you with our hearts surrendered and submitted to you and embrace all that you have for us in the future. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.